may be seated this morning. What a joy to see you. I'm so glad that you're here with us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what a blessing it is for us to be together. Sundays uh, here at Calvary, we've been over the last several months, actually almost a year now, been doing a study in Matthew's Gospel on Sunday morning. Next week we'll get back to that study. I invite you to come back as it's an incredible study, but on this Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be in John's Gospel. So if you'll turn there to chapter 20 of John, if you have your Bibles with you, chapter 20 of John's Gospel, and of course, all four Gospel writers, uh, including the synoptic writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give the account of the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we go into John chapter 20, his account here, that he is inspired by the Spirit of God, and he tells us in verse 1 of chapter 20, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for so many that have come out this weekend uh, over these five services that we've had. And Lord, I'm very grateful that we can come together and once again read this account that we may be very familiar with, but Lord, I pray it touch our hearts in even a deeper way. And Lord, that we would really know truly and rejoice that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the grave. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we know that on the first day of the week, as we're told, that after the Sabbath, when it was early, when Mark says that it was the break of dawn. And here John, he records that while it was still dark, that not only did Mary Magdalene, and he focuses on Mary Magdalene, that came to the tomb on that resurrection morning. But Luke also tells us that certain other women, uh, Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, came. Mark tells us also Salome. And we know from the gospel accounts that they came to the tomb and the reason that they did that was to complete the process of applying the burial spices on the body of Jesus. As they came to the tomb, keep in mind, they're not expecting the resurrection. And you see, as we read on Friday, the account of the burial of Jesus, these same women that are the first ones that are coming to the tomb on the first day of the week, very early while it's still dark, were the last ones to be at the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, as we read in chapter, the previous chapter, chapter 19, that when Jesus, the seventh and final saying, that as he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and it says that he, you know, breathed his last, and he would bow his head, and he truly died. It was a physical death on the cross. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two council members, what they did is they went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. We don't always think about, we talk a lot about the crucifixion of Jesus. We talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but sometimes we don't always think about the burial of Jesus. And we know that as we consider it, that it's interesting to me that none of the disciples went to ask for the body of Jesus. None of his family that we know of went to ask for the body of Jesus. But as it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, because God had a plan. God had a sovereign plan that Jesus would be put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. As I said, they were council members. And as they would go to Pilate and ask to be, you know, uh, given permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross because crucified victims 
were not treated well at all. They were usually taken down and thrown in the garbage heap. And they would prepare Jesus for burial. They would risk their reputations, their position on the council. Um, and it took a lot of courage for them to do that. But these same women here at the tomb also were eyewitnesses of Jesus as they had to hurry to prepare Jesus for burial because the Sabbath was coming. They would witness Jesus being put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was near Calvary. It was near in a garden, the tomb was. And listen, it was a tomb that had never been used. That's very important for us to consider because there was no other bodies in that tomb. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would have a large stone that would close the entrance of that tomb. And here comes Mary Magdalene, as John records, that she comes. We know she came with the other women, uh, Mary Magdalene from Magdala in the Galilee region. And she was delivered. She was free. And again, they're coming to apply the burial spices to finish that process as they come to the tomb on this Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. And I'm sure that as she comes, her eyes are swollen from weeping uh, over the last three days as she was a witness to Jesus' crucifixion. And John, as he writes here, says that she comes when it was still dark. This is a moment of darkness, a dark season, uh, darkness and death, and it's soon going to be replaced by the dawning of the day that is of light and life. And they're all going to discover that indeed that he is alive, he's risen from the grave. We know from Mark's account that when they came to the tomb that they were wondering, who's going to roll away that large stone that, that closed the tomb, that, that, that sealed the tomb? And you see, the Gospels indicate to us that they didn't know that the Roman soldiers were there. Matthew tells us that the religious leaders went to Pilate when they buried Jesus and said, we need to place a guard. We don't want the disciples to come and, and steal the body of Jesus away. So Pilate said to the religious leaders, you make the tomb as, as safe as possible. You guard it as much as you want. So they set a guard is what it tells us, which means 12 to 16 soldiers watching that tomb 24-7, and we also know that Matthew tells us that they sealed the stone. That is, the stone that closed the entrance to the tomb, they put a Roman seal on it. It was probably two leather strips that they put over the stone, and anyone who dared try to come in and steal the body and break that seal, if they could sneak by the guards, which they couldn't, then they would be in big trouble. So these women, they don't know that the Roman soldiers are there. Only Pilate knows. Only the religious leaders know. And they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone so we can apply the burial spices on the body of Jesus. And when they arrive at the tomb, the soldiers are gone. Matthew tells us that there had been an earthquake and an angel came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And the countenance of that angel it was like lightning in his clothing as white as snow. And when the soldiers saw that mighty angel, they were like dead men. They were full of fear and they fled. And now John, he picks it up here, what took place as we read in verse 2 of chapter 20. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter 
And to the other disciple, that is Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus loved, that is John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary Magdalene takes off to tell Peter and John that, that his body's not there. The, the body of Jesus is gone. They're still perplexed uh, about the resurrection. They're not fully understanding it. As you put the other gospel accounts together, apparently the other women stayed there, and it was then that they encountered two angels that would tell them about the resurrection. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. They eventually would leave, and then as Peter and John would come back to the tomb, John records that, and they would look inside the tomb, as they hear from Mary Magdalene, his body's not there, and they saw the linen clothes, but there was no body of Jesus, and they would leave. Well, at that point, John records that Mary Magdalene comes back to the tomb. And Mark tells us very specifically that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene. And as she's looking in the tomb, she sees two angels. She turns around. She sees somebody. She supposes it's the gardener. And keep in mind that the tomb was in the garden. And she says to that individual who she supposes the gardener that, hey, they've taken away my Lord. Well, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him, and I will bring him back. And, of course, it was Jesus. And Jesus said her name, Mary, and, of course, she embraced them, and Jesus spoke to her. So that was the first appearance of the resurrected Lord came to Mary, and then the second appearance would be apparently to the other women. And then the third appearance of Jesus was to Peter. Well, the fourth appearance we read about later on in that day, as we read in verse 19 of chapter 20, then the same day at evening, beginning the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So as we're reading this, Mary Magdalene comes to the forefront. But I also want to mention John here focuses on one of the disciples. Now, this disciple is Thomas. And it's interesting that as you read about Thomas, John in his gospel is the only one that tells us of the personality, the character of Thomas. Uh, we know that the synoptic writers only mention him in the listing of the 12. But when you read John chapter 11, there's Jesus. He's in the wilderness, uh, and he gets word that his friend Lazarus was sick. Come to us, to Bethany. And Jesus actually stayed there a couple more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Bethany. And the disciples said to Jesus, the religious leaders, they want to kill you. And you want to go to Bethany, which is only about two miles from Jerusalem? That's where the religious leaders were plotting to put Jesus to death. And we are told that Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas had some guts. He had some real courage. He said, let us go. We'll just die with Jesus. Jesus. 
So we see that he was courageous. And we also see something of Thomas in the upper room. Now, a quarter of John's gospel is dedicated to what is called the upper room discourse, Jesus last night with his disciples. And as he has that last meal with them, he's ministering to them. They're confused. They don't understand everything that's going on. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, and where I'm going, you can't come, and one of you is going to betray me, and some of you, all of you are going to be made to, to run away from me that night. And they were very troubled. They we were confused, and Jesus began to give some words of comfort to them. And he would say to them in chapter 14 of John, that let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that a wonderful promise for you and for me? That the Lord promised that he's prepared a place for us. And he promised that he will go and receive us to himself. That where he is, that we will be with him also. And so Thomas here and the rest are thinking, as Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said that I am the way. He didn't say he was a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am so glad that Thomas asked that question. Because Jesus makes it very clear. And the resurrection proves it. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And now we read about Thomas in John's record of the resurrection. And as we read that Jesus appeared to the ten. Now what had happened was that Thomas was with them initially on resurrection morning. And, and when the women came and told them that the body's not there, uh, we were told that he's alive. Thomas was there, but then he leaves, and Jesus would show up to the ten, and he would show himself to them. But in verse 24 of chapter 20, now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas... You missed the meeting. You missed out on the meeting. He wasn't there. And you see, it reminds me as, as we come out of this time of, it's, it's been wonderful uh, this weekend and over the last couple of weeks, seeing people come back that ha have been away because of COVID. And last year, we weren't even able to have Easter services and, and meet and all of this. And I just want to encourage you, keep coming. Keep coming, and, and I'm encouraged that others are wanting to come back. And as you do, as we take in Bible studies, we're going through Matthew's Gospels. We study the Word together. Small groups during the week have, have really flourished that you're going to have truth that is revealed to you. Don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Thomas, you missed the meeting. You missed out on truth that was revealed and how we need that truth in the day that we are living in. So Thomas was gone for whatever reason. And then in verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails I will, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So chapter 11, what you have here is you have dedicated Thomas. 
uh, chapter 14, you have honest Thomas because he just said, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. He's just saying what the other disciples were thinking. And here in verse 25 of chapter 20, as we read about the resurrection of Jesus, this verse that we just read gives him the name Doubting Thomas. But he really is not doubting. He's just not believing. And we will see that Jesus says to him in the next verse, don't be unbelieving. And here Thomas is saying, you guys said that you saw the Lord. I'm not going to believe right now. I'm not going to fall into this trap of high hopes and shattered expectations. Guys, I am not going to believe until I see the Lord myself with my own eyes and touch him, to touch his wounds that he received from his crucifixion. Now, I do think that Thomas does get somewhat of a bad rap when he's called Doubting Thomas. Because in Luke chapter 24, verse 11, when the women came from the tomb, it tells us uh, that the angel told them, he is not here, he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you and said, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they returned, Luke says, to the eleven. Judas wasn't there. So Thomas was there earlier in the day. And it says that the disciples did not believe the women, that their words seemed like idle tales. They, they were making it up. They didn't believe. So then Thomas leaves, and then Jesus shows himself to the ten, and they did believe. And as we read this, as we consider it, here is Thomas that he says, I'm not going to believe until I see the Lord himself. And then as we finish reading about this encounter that he has with the Lord, after eight days in verse 26, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed and blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think a lot of us are familiar with this account that's recorded for us of Thomas and, and how he wouldn't believe until he saw the Lord and then he touched the Lord and he worships the Lord and says, my Lord and my God. But there's some consideration here that I'd like to give to you on this resurrection morning. And that is number one, Thomas, he needed to make his faith his own. He needed to make his faith his own. I know that there's been people that have come through all the services that we've had this weekend. And maybe you went to Sunday school when you were small. Maybe you went to youth group. Perhaps you were raised in a Christian home where you were given the gospel. You were given the truth of God's word. You were raised in God's way. One of the blessings that I get to experience in ministering for a generation, for 25 years here, is watching, you know, kids grow up and they become adults and being raised in a Christian home. And in your home, not only did you receive the gospel and the truth of God's word, but coming here, we've done our best to give you the gospel, to tell you that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, to get you established in the word of God. And as you grow, here's the thing. There comes a time where you got to make your faith your own. 
You see, Thomas has genuine doubts here. He's struggling here. Hey, I'm not going to believe until I see him. And when the Lord does appear, as we read, the Lord is very patient with Thomas. He's patient with all these disciples. He doesn't say, okay, Thomas, you didn't believe, so you're now fired as one of my apostles. He doesn't say, Thomas, why are you acting this way? Now you're going to be known as Doubting Thomas for the next 2,000 years. He doesn't do that because the ministry of Messiah, according to Isaiah, is that he doesn't break a bruised reed and he doesn't quench a smoking flax. He's so gentle with us. And as he comes to Thomas, he makes himself real to Thomas. Maybe you're here and you grew up in the church. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. But you've gone off to college. You've gone off into life. And culture tells us you don't need to believe in God. It's almost like that's the message of culture. What's this Christian thing? You know, you can come to God any way that you want to. Maybe you heard a college professor say, God is not real. Maybe there have been those friends that you're hanging out with that are telling you that what's this Jesus thing? You don't need to be religious, and you struggle. And listen, I remember being there. I remember being there and really asking, Lord, are you real? Is your word real? Did you really die for me? Did you really rise from the grave? Is the Bible true? Can I believe it? And I remember asking those questions, and the Lord would show himself as he graciously would draw me to himself. And he began to make himself real to me. That, Jeff, I am who I said I am. And I really died for you specifically and individually because of my love for you. And I did rise from the grave. And I've given you a living hope, and you can believe my promises and my word given to you. You see, I didn't see him physically like Thomas and the others, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the Holy Spirit just began to draw me to him. But it wasn't, listen, just a blind faith. It wasn't that I had to, you know, assassinate my brain and not be able to ask the questions. Some of you, you got real questions that you have, and the Lord desires to give you the answers, and they're available for you. I remember going to CSU and in a science field, and I remember as I'm being told over and over again that the earth evolved in billions of years and millions of years. And, and I remember as I studied biology and geology and, and ecology and dendrochronology and all the other ology classes that I began to look at the complexity and diversity of, of creation, and I'm thinking, it evolved? Are you telling me this just all evolved? There's a wonderful designer. There's a wonderful designer. And it was like they were telling me a tornado went through a junkyard and created a 747. It just didn't make sense to me. And I began to realize that I could look at creation science and very intelligent men such as Henry Morris and Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis, to look at the science of Genesis and the mysteries and to have good reasons to believe, and it was very helpful. There's more materials than ever. I remember thinking, can I trust your word, Lord? Because people are telling me that the Bible has changed. Have you ever been told that? The Bible's not true. People have just changed it over the years. Well, investigate it, and you will see that the Bible hasn't been changed, that you can trust the canon of Scripture. 
Jesus, were you really Lord? Because if you're not really Lord, then either you are lying in your claims to be Lord, or you are lunatic thinking that you were when you really weren't. And as I looked at it objectively, I could see that Jesus truly was Lord, and he rose from the grave because that's the very foundation of our faith. Paul says that if he didn't rise from the grave, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. We have no reason to be gathering here this morning if he didn't rise from the grave. And all these theories that people would come up with, oh, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away. No, they didn't. Or he didn't really die. He just kind of, you know, you know, he just passed out on a cross and then he would get out of the tomb by himself. Really? Past the guards? Are you telling me that? Or everybody went to the wrong tomb. When we're told the women were eyewitnesses of Jesus being put in that tomb. So everybody went to the wrong tomb. Are you serious? Even the angel went to the wrong tomb? <laughs> so there wasn't any good reasons. And look at the eyewitnesses. Look at the eyewitnesses. In Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, 500 people saw him at once. Some of them are still alive. You go ask him. But there was a decision of faith that I had to make. That, Lord, you are real. And I want to encourage you, if you have those questions, listen. That it's okay if you have those questions. But you seek the Lord. And you seek. You get the information that you need. we got great resources in the bookstore. And you will, as you say, Lord, make yourself real to me. Guess what? He is going to show up. He's going to show up just like he did with Thomas. Secondly, Maybe you're here and you believe, but you're struggling and you're doubting because it has been a season of loss and difficulty and uncertainty. You see, Thomas, for eight days, Jesus showed himself eight days after the resurrection day. Thomas is out there. He is hurting. He is upset. He left everything to follow Jesus. And you might be thinking, Lord, do you even love me? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Jesus knew what Thomas was going through. He knew what Thomas had said because the Lord says, Thomas, go ahead, reach your finger here. Touch my wounds. And I would tell you that you look to him and you look at his hand, his feet, the wounds that are there, his side, and that he did it because of his love for you. And if you ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ, go to the cross. Because he did it for his love for you. While we are yet sinners, Christ proved his love for us, dying on the cross, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. And just as Thomas is thinking, the Lord is dead, maybe you're here on this resurrection day, and you're thinking something's dead in my life, some area of my life. And you say, I'm not going to believe unless I can actually see it and touch it. Remember this, remember this. That Jesus specializes in taking that which is dead and making it alive again. Trust in him. Believe in him. Believe in his promises given to you. He promises that he'll perfect that which concerns you. He promises that he wants to do the very best in your life. To work all things for good. For those who love him or are called according to his purposes. It doesn't mean he makes the bad things good, but he works good in the bad. He promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. 
to bring you the comfort that you need, to bring you the strength that you need, the wisdom. And listen, he has so much for your life to guide you and to direct you, to give you real purpose in life. Look to him. Thirdly, quickly, that Thomas, as he says, my Lord and my God, both, both titles of deity, and Jesus acknowledges that. So what does the resurrection mean for you and for me this morning? It means that we do have a living hope, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and that he is our salvation. There is none other. No one else died for you. No one else conquered the grave by rising from the grave and conquered sin and death. Only Jesus did. And so we come this morning. The resurrection gives us a living hope. The resurrection gives us a glorious promise as we come to him in faith. Jesus on that cross cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He did the work in dying for our sins. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to be saved. We come in faith as we believe in him. It is finished. And as I said on Friday, never put a question mark where God puts a period. It is finished. Do you believe that? He died for you and he loves you. And he says, come. And the invitation has always come. And I rose from the grave. And now I'm alive at the right hand of the Father. And as we come, as we sincerely call out to him, we have the hope of eternal life. We come into the family of God and reconciliation to the Father. Listen, you cannot save yourself. But the other side of the spectrum, if you think that I'm a pretty good person, none of us are good enough, but you might be thinking, I'm such a rotten person, the Lord would never forgive me. He died for every one of your sins. And the invitation is to come and believe in him. And you come and call out on him. They confess that I need forgiveness, and I believe that you are Lord, and I ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior. So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. <clears throat> and Lord, even in those times where we, we wonder, we struggle, that you make yourself real to us. And Lord, that there are answers. And I thank you that we can come into this place today. And that, Lord, we can read this account that happened, that brought us the greatest news in the history of mankind that he is alive when he rose from the grave. And as Peter would say, that we now have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. We don't have a dead faith. We don't believe in a dead Savior, but in a living Savior. And I just want to pray, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, listen, today is the day of salvation. To understand this, that he died for you personally. He died for your sins, made atonement for your sins cried out, it is finished, rose from the grave, validating what he did on the cross. He says, come, confessing that you're a sinner and need to be forgiven and asking Jesus to sit upon the throne of your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. How oh, he loves you so much. He is your hope and salvation. He is the way, the truth. And you can come right now and sincerely pray. That Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. 
and that you're alive speaking to my heart. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me into the family of God. I thank you for this new beginning. And I thank you for your love for me. And want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And Father, for all of us that we would leave here just as the women left the tomb with exceeding joy, knowing that you are alive and we have a glorious promise that you're going to come for us. Take us home to be with you. Bless everyone's day here. Bless our time with family, friends. And so, Lord, we thank you for today. The rejoicing in the risen Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.